Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. I'm thrilled about this next year. I just love New Year's because it's like, it's like leave some crap behind and move into something fresh and new. But uh, we're going to start the year with a sermon series called Ask, and God's just laying in my heart to ask big, just get ridiculous with asking, and he's going to blow our minds in 2018. I know it. So uh, we're just expecting some really good stuff, aren't you? But hey, we're having a candlelight service this morning. So we're going to have some fun. Wow! Man, I'll tell you, I love Jesus. I don't, those people must have been anointed. All those hugs kind of whacked me a bit. So that was good. Good, good. So Christmas. I want to talk about Christmas. So, so that's our Christmas tree right there. And uh, that's uh, our Rottweiler right there. And uh, that's Bodog. And uh, he, he just wants stuff all the time. But we've had some folks that are home, and you've seen our tree, and you've looked, and you might see that, but you kind of see the tree, and you kind of see the, the big picture. But you might miss the little picture, and you might miss some of the little things. But, you know, the tree is pretty significant to us. And it's not just any tree, and it has to have a lot of lights and a lot of different colored bulbs because everything on that tree is kind of unique and kind of different. And so I just... Uh, took a few things off the tree last night before I came. So Cheryl said, remember where you got them from? I'm like, oh my goodness. She didn't say it like that. It was much more, remember where you got them from, dear? (laughs) She sets them up in a specific way. But uh, this is from the Czech Republic. And we picked up a blue one and a pink one. And one for each of our kids. And uh, just like to go places. And... uh, Wow. Sadly, we broke the pink one. And uh, so we have to go back to Prague and get a pink one for, for Carly Lynn. So we got all kinds of different ones. We got this one. We got this when Carly graduated from high school. So that's a little, little graduation angel. And uh, we got this one when, when Dylan was playing LMFA football. So it's a, an angel with a little football. It's really cool. So... so so we got a bunch, and Cheryl said, settle down. You don't need to take that many. But I said, they're all really, really good. Now, so then there's this one. This one says, the, the dog ate your gift. <laughs> and so that's what the kids got me the year that they brought Bo into the house. And they knew I didn't want the dog, and I was not thrilled about the dog. It was, I was like, I don't want a dog, especially a 125-pound dog. And so they thought it was really funny, knowing that I was already a bit freaked out to say, Here's your Christmas present. The dog ate your gift. So, so that's lovely. So they know all about that stuff. My daughter did ballet. We had her in ballet constantly. We had her in piano and voice and ballet. So we, we got this just to, you know, just to remember that Carly was in ballet and all those years in ballet. So this represented Carly's ballet years. We kept her in ballet and voice and uh, piano, did all of those things just to keep her off the street. And so... But, but Carly, when she did piano, you know, she, she was the, had the, the, was it the second highest or highest for the conservatory in voice one year in all of Ontario. It was really amazing. So, but her piano playing, interesting. 
Her first recital, she had to play Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And uh, when she got up there, she went doink. And then, then just, it was a train wreck. Like she didn't hit, a, it didn't sound like, I don't know what it was. I mean, I don't even know if dubstep was around back then, but it was like, wah, 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 bing, 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 wah. It, and, uh, it was, and as she played, she just, I thought somewhere she's going to recover, but she hammered away through the whole thing. And it was messy all the way through. And she began to cry while she was playing. And so she's crying and snotty and still playing. And we're at the back going, whose kid is that? Wow. <laughs> but actually at home, she played it so well. She'd practice at church and I felt terrible for her. But, you know, she's still crying. She got up from the thing. She curtsied beautifully and then walked down just crying all the way back. And then they went on with the show and she's in the back going, <laughs> I said, Shh, stop it, stop it. She's like, <laughs> Anyway, she plays piano. We're still, she plays piano lovely, so we're, we're glad about that. And Dylan, we put Dylan in drums. And so this was from the drum studio in 1998. So we had all kinds of balls from the, the, the drum studio and stuff like that. So what else have I got here? I got, uh, oh, I got, oh, this is, uh, this actually was my parents gave us a, a little gift. When we got married, we got married on the 17th of December. And we were in Mexico for our honeymoon, so we were in Mexico for our first Christmas together. And so my parents said, please don't open this gift until Christmas Day. And uh, so this is 34 years old. 34 years ago in Mexico, tomorrow, 34 years ago, we uh, opened that gift and it's our first Christmas together. And like all these things are on our tree every year. So decorating our tree every year is like a... It's like just going through our history, going through our lives. We like to add to it and do things. And, and so we went to Mexico. You folks, when it was our 25th anniversary, uh, you folks sent us to Mexico on our 25th. So we got that one in Mexico for our 25th, just to just remember our 25th anniversary in Mexico. So we got that on our thing there. So, and then there's this one, this one. We went to, uh, Dylan and I went to Africa and ministered there, and, and like every night, it was over 25,000 people in these meetings. It was really, really amazing, but on the way home, we stopped to do some Christmas shopping in Paris, and we had one restaurant that we went to, really liked it. The guy, one of the guests, who, or the server who was serving us, he was a, he was a uh, singer in a, a Christian grunge band, so like a, it was actually a a screamo band, you know, where they go, <laughs> do you know that the best screamo bands in the world are Christian bands? I didn't know that, but, but he played us his stuff, and then he took us around the corner, showed us the church he goes to, we had a lot of fun there, so I stole, I, 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 uh, I think it fell on our table, so I thought it was mine, I don't know, but I just kind of thought it'd be great to remember just this trip together you and I and and so I I gave him a nice tip but I did take the ball so and then there's oh, I don't know what that is that's awful oh thank you John yeah so anyway so and then there's this one this is my first Christmas oh <laughs> that's Frankie's that was Frankie's first Christmas and Carly's like well why don't we get to take it home because it stays on our tree you know so Stays on our tree, and then when Frankie, first time she has her own tree, then Frankie will get that ball to put on her tree because it was her first Christmas. Now this one, this one is, uh, yeah, look at that. He lost an eye somewhere on the journey. But this would be, wow, this has to be 
close to 50 years old. So my dad, Christmas was blue and green. So everything was blue and green. The Christmas tree was green, and the lamps were blue and green, and the balls were blue and green. The lights outside, floodlights were blue and green. The lights around the house were blue and green. And my Christmas for years was blue and green. I'd visit friends' houses and stuff, and you know they'd have all kinds of colors and all that, and I'm going, Dad, why can't we put a color on a tree? Our tree is blue and green. And he wasn't angry about it. My dad was just kind of like that. He liked things. You know, my dad woke up early in the morning at 6 o'clock. He would shave and shower and be fully dressed, suit and tie, 7 o'clock, clunking on the floor with his shoes. My dad was just a put-together guy, and he liked things a certain way. But it just annoyed me, blue and green, blue and green, blue and green. So one Christmas, they put the tree up, and uh, I couldn't believe it, but my mom, mom hung this right in the middle. She knew that my favorite character, Disney character, was Goofy. I don't know what that says, but I don't know. I was a big goofy. But so she got that, and right on my dad's blue and green Christmas, she said, Carl, settle down and back off. Carl's going to have his little ornament. And forever that ornament was there. When we got married, my mom put it in a box, and she said, you can take Goofy with you, Goofy. So, so that's what that's all about. So there's a lot of meaningful stuff on our tree, but you would just look at our tree and say, it's just a tree. But you know, it's a lot of little stories, little places, little things, and people who've touched our lives in different places. So I could have brought a lot more, but Cheryl said that's probably good. But you know, that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about little things. It's about little people, little places, little things. I want to start reading. We're going to read the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. You ready? Ready? I'm going to put the whole thing up there so you can read it along with me. At the time of the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral homes to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it was prophesied that the Christ the King would be born in Bethlehem, and yet they were from Nazareth, and yet God orchestrated all these things. He fit everything together so that they had to go. They, they wouldn't have gone, but they had to go register for a census. That's when, the, because the Romans wanted to get some taxes, they had to go from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. But all of this, God's got it all worked out. It's all a part of his plan to totally fulfill every single prophecy regarding the coming of Christ. All of it done. So they had to go, and there Joseph was a descendant of David. He went to Bethlehem in Judea. Now, Bethlehem, just a little town. That's why we sing that song, Oh, Little Town of Bethlehem, just a little town. So they had to leave Nazareth. Now these people from Nazareth, Nazareth, that whole region, the Romans in their maps didn't even put many of the cities in Nazareth even on the map because they just like, oh, Nazareth. They always said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was a nowhere place, and these would have been considered nowhere people. I mean, Joseph was just a carpenter, and they were poor. How do I know they were poor? Because when they went to the temple eight days later, the sacrifice that they gave for the circumcision of their son was the sacrifice designated in the law for poor people. If you're poor, you can bring this sacrifice. So we know that they were nowhere people, little people, little lives, simple lives, and yet God had called them to do something great. So here's these little folks on their way to a little town. They traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee, and he took with him Mary, who he was, listen to this now, he took with him Mary, who he was married to. Oh, he took with him Mary, who he was engaged to. 
And here's a couple of kids out on the road, you know. I mean, Joseph might have been older, older fellows, married some younger gals back then. But, I mean, that's pretty scandalous stuff. They're just engaged, and they're going off for a weekend to Bethlehem. My goodness. And, top it off, she's with child. So this is, this is, this is a really difficult, difficult story. I mean, these, these guys must have had a very, very difficult, difficult life. So they're engaged, and she was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her and for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in snugly strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. There was no lodging anywhere for them. Even though they were from that area, I guess they didn't have any relatives with enough space to put them up. And I mean, there they are, these guys traveling from nowhere, just nobody, insignificant people. And then they give birth to the king of glory in a hole in the side of a rock wall in a little cutout little stable. And they place the king of the world in a feeding trough. I mean, how vulnerable is God that he would subject the redemption of mankind to that kind of a situation? But I mean, God is so confident in what he wants to do. He can submit his purposes to what would seem like very vulnerable circumstances because God is going to bring about what he says he's going to bring about, and he's going to do it for his own name's sake, and he's going to honor his word no matter what. So no matter what circumstance you find you're in, how weird it looks, bad it looks, how many contradictions you face, God will always honor his word according to you. And that's a good word. Amen. I see that hand. So there they are, no lodging. So they went there in the inn. And it says, at that night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks by night. Shepherds. Shepherds. What's a shepherd? A shepherd is basically an unclean occupation. It's an occupation where you are considered unclean. You can't even go to the temple. You can't participate in rituals at the temple. You are considered that you have an unclean unclean calling, an unclean lifestyle, and literally poor people became shepherds because nobody wanted to be unclean all the time. This was an unclean calling, and yet when God wanted to stand up and he wanted to announce, my son is born, he goes to these unclean guys out in the field. The whole place, a massive big light show. I want to I tell somebody about my son. Where does he go? To a little place in a little field to some of the littlest people in society. And he says, my son is born. So good. Settle down, please. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them and they were terrified, of course. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. It's so awesome. So awesome that all through the Bible, every time angels show up, it says, don't be afraid. That's a good thing. He said, I bring you good news of great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You'll find the baby wrapped in snugly, wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly... The angels joined by a vast crowd, I mean the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. I mean, this had to be a crazy event. You know what I mean? Suddenly, like, you got the angel, the glory of God, and then all of a sudden, the whole thing pulls back. You see all the armies of heaven, woo! That's a crazy light show. God himself puts together the best Christmas program ever for a bunch of shepherds just sitting there, you know, playing dominoes, watching their sheep, and all of a sudden, dude! amazing stuff. That's the kind of thing God does. Little people, little places. And he blows it up with his goodness and with his glory. 
Here's what they said. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth with whom God is pleased. I love that translation because some people, the other translation says, peace to the people God's pleased with. No, God is pleased with the earth. God loves the earth. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Good news to all the earth. God loves you. He's pleased to dwell with you. Isn't that great? Before you even serve God, before you even say yes to God, God says, I'm pleased with you. I'm nuts about you. And didn't he do that with his own son? Before his son even started ministry, he's baptized, he comes out of the water, hadn't done a lick of ministry, and the father couldn't take it. He opens up the heavens and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He hadn't done a lick of ministry, hadn't done a thing, but he's pleased with him because he's pleased with him. And he's pleased with you because he's pleased with you. Not because you did stuff or you're going to do stuff, but because God is nuts about his creation and he's nuts about you. No matter where you think you are or where you think you've been, he'll never change his mind. He loves you unconditionally. I, that should make your leg just start to go, you, you, you. All right. So the angels returned to heaven. The shepherds said, dude, that was crazy. And they said, let's go. Say, let's go. Let's go. I mean, they told us, man, they told us where it was. Go do it. You're going to see it. Let's go see this thing. They said, let's go and let's see. Let's go and let's see. You know, let's go and let's see. I mean, this isn't just some religious thing you do, but God wants to engage you. He wants your senses to be wrapped up in the revelation of who he is. He wants you to come to him, and he wants you to experience him. He wants you to taste, to know, to see, to experience the goodness of God for yourself. So they said, let's go and let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone. Say, told everyone told everyone. What's your job this Christmas? Tell everyone. Tell everyone. I tell you, an encounter with God should lead to this right away. Tell everyone. If you've really been encountered by God, you cannot help yourself. You must tell everyone. They told everyone what had happened and what the angel said about the child. And all who heard the story were astonished. But Mary, she pondered and kept all these things in her heart, praising God for all that she had heard. It was just as the angel told him. Amen. You know, God is like that. He, he chooses little things. He says, I choose the weak things of the world to confound the wise. I wonder why he called me, because I'm awesome. You know, here's what uh, Rick Warren said. He said, uh, there will always be more people wanting to do great things for God than there are people willing to do little things. There's a race to be the leader. <laughs> the race to be leader is crowded, but the field is wide open for those willing to be servants. You know, it's the servants who really are the ones who do the stuff. It's the servants that really see. It's, it's, it's love and compassion for others that, that moves us to do the stuff God wants us to do. Love should be the only motivation. The love of others, the passion to see lives touched and moved, that should be it. Not to lead people, but to serve people and bless them with the goodness of God. Vance Havner, he said this. He said, so many of us are not big enough to become little enough to be used by God. So many of us are not big enough. Because it takes a big person to be little. It takes a big person to go low. It takes a big person to serve. It takes a big person to recognize what's actually going on around them and not be self-absorbed. It takes a big person to be willing to do the little things. It's a big person who can become little enough to be used by God. And then all of our favorite writer, right? 
J.R. Is it Tolkien or Tolkien or how do you pronounce it? Okay, good. <laughs> it's the small everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay. It's the small everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keep the darkness at bay. And that's really what it is. It's all of us doing our little bit. It's all of us every day with eyes open to see what's in front of us. Our hearts open enough to care. Our hearts open enough to be moved by the things around us. It's everyday people doing everyday stuff. That's what I love about the Christmas story. It's all about little people, little things, little places, but people who are small partnering with the Almighty to bring about His purpose in the earth. It's the small everyday deeds. You know, we talk about miracles. It's uh, Christmas miracles. You know what? Miracles start with just little things. Miracles start with just little opportunities. Miracles start by just, just seeing and, and opening your heart for opportunities that are around you. And it starts in the little places and the little things. And often, if you want to do great miracles, it really demands great love and a manifestation of great love in the simple issues of life. And great miracles take place where there is great love because that's where God is because God is love. All right, well, let's look. Little places, little places. You ready for some little places? Jesus, he's born in the little town of Bethlehem. Moses, God finds him on the backside of the desert by lighting up a bush. I mean, Gideon, Gideon's in a wine press threshing some grain trying to make a biscuit, and all of a sudden God says, Gideon, you mighty man of God. And he's like, are you kidding me? How did you find me here? And who are you talking about? I mean, I'm the least of the clan, the least of the tribe, the least of my family, the least, the least, the least, the least, the least. Get away from here. Leave me alone. And then he does all these fleeces to try to make sure that God's right. And God works with him. God says, okay, I will convince you that you're a mighty man of God. But God finds little people in little places to engage in little partnerships to do supernatural stuff. And that means you're qualified this Christmas to do incredible things. David, I mean, David, what was David? He was a shepherd. Why was he a shepherd? Because they thought he was an illegitimate child. I mean, it says in, in old Jewish history, it says that David's father had stopped going to his mom, and his mom wanted more kids, so she literally dressed up as a prostitute and, and went into him, and, and she got pregnant with another child, and he didn't believe he'd ever been with her. And he never believed her that this was really my child. And that child, that's why when he said, bring, that's why when the, the prophet said, bring your kids, one of your kids is going to be the king. He brought all the kids, but he didn't bring David because he didn't believe he was his child. And where was David? Doing the nastiest, ugliest job could be done. Something a servant should have been doing, David was doing because he says, you're not really my son. But then he says, you know what? I got this one other kid. I'm not even sure he's mine, though, but we can call him. And, and Samuel said, that's the one. That's the one. The one who's grown up despised and discarded and cast away. That one, that is, that is, he says, because God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outward, but God looks at the heart. And he found that little person. And he found David. And David was out there with the sheep being trained to reign and to rule. But God finds little people in little places. Zacchaeus, where was Zacchaeus? Up a tree. Just a little guy up a tree. Wanted to see Jesus. And you know what? You, you climb a tree, you find a little place where you want to be inconspicuous and just watch Jesus go by. He knows you're there. You know, he'll find you in those little places. Where's Peter? Peter's fishing. I mean, I was out fishing and God called me. I mean, that's crazy stuff. I mean, you know, God finds little people in little places to engage in little partnerships to do powerful things. Look at this place right here. That's a 940 Gordon Avenue in Verdun in Montreal. Jesus saves Apostolic Church. That's a church in Montreal that I grew up in. 
And I was seven years old, and I was on a concrete floor. And the church doesn't exist anymore. It's been torn down. But on that concrete floor, I mean, hardly paying attention. Mom gave me a goofy because I was always a bit goofy. But there I was being a goofy, I'm sure, in Sunday school. But sure enough, the, the teacher, Mrs. Norma Rideup, she turned around and she went, Carl, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. And I went, yes. And you know, that pierced my heart. I, I mean, my parents used to try and get the memory verse on the way back to church. You know, he's the assistant pastor, so my kids better know the memory verse. So on the way to church the next week, we're learning it in the car, learning it in the car. But this one, we got out of church. I knew it on the way home the first day. My dad said, wow, how'd you get that one? But you know what? It pierced my heart. It was like it was written right on my heart. And people say, when were you called in the ministry? When I was seven years old, Norma Rideout, in a little church, in a little basement, on a cold floor, with a little woman who taught Sunday school all her life, Norma Rideout said, Carl, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. You know, she spoke that. And I believe there's people doing that right now with our children and, and telling our kids that you're awesome. God's got plans for you. But you know what? Norma Rideout said that. I've been able to go. She's gone home to be with the Lord now, but I've been back in Montreal several times and said, thank you for your faithfulness to me because you called me into ministry. And sure enough, I have been, I think, on every continent preaching the gospel. So that word that you prophesied over me in the cold corner of a basement in 940 Gordon Ave, in that little place, little people connected and found a partnership in the purpose of God. Thank you for your faithfulness. Amen. Please settle down. I know it's exciting. I got to move on. The timekeeper's not there, so Pat, just wave at me every once in a while. Just, all right. All right, little people, little people. Well, we talked about the little people, but I mean, this was a, a tourist. He was over in, you know, old Europe and going to these just, I love, don't you love going to Europe? I love going to Europe because it's so old and there's so many things. And, but the one tourist said, any important people born here? And the tour director said, nope, just babies. Because <laughs> you like to go, who was born here? I mean, Florence, is this where, what artist was born here? And they go, yeah, no artist born here, just babies. You know, it's all about little people. All those people I talked about, every one of us, we all we were just babies. But every single one of us, you know what? There's something significant that God's planted in your heart. And, and even if you don't think he has, there's things that he's speaking in the earth today that he wants to do. And he's looking for partnership in great things. He really is. <laughs> okay, moving on. Little partnerships, little participations. Mary said, I can't believe it. Honest to God, I can't believe it. I mean, but this teenage girl said, you're going to become pregnant by the Holy Ghost. I mean, the Spirit of God is going to put the Son of God in you, and God Almighty is going to borrow your womb, and you're going to bring to birth the one who is the Savior of the world. Are you kidding me? Man, I mean, it's easier to believe Grandma got run over by a reindeer. <laughs> I know that's not a pleasant song, but you know. But wow, I mean, wow, 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 wow. God borrowed a teenager's womb, and they embraced all the contradictions and all the opposition, and they brought that child, they brought that seed into full birth, and they served the purpose of God in their generation. You look at Moses, he used a shepherd's stick. He had a shepherd's stick, and he struck the water with that stick. He struck the rock with that stick. He ruled with that stick. I mean, he didn't have to change a whole lot in his life. He had to just keep on doing what he was doing, and God used that guy to do what he did. I mean, David had a slingshot. They tried to give him weaponry and all kinds of armor and stuff like that, and he says, you know what? I've used this. 
I've seen God use this. God's been faithful with this. He's going to use what's in my hand. I'm going to go up against that giant that you're all terrified about, and I'm going to use my slingshot. Are you nuts? He's going to get killed. Oh, well. But he goes down there, and he says, this isn't about armor. This isn't about what's in my hand or what's in your hand. This isn't about gifting, ability, skill, size, or any other thing. This is about I serve a covenant-keeping God. You are an uncircumcised Philistine. So this is a no-brainer. I come to you, and I love David because it says David was running. And while he's running, he's saying these things. I mean, he's running with a slingshot at a giant, and he's running. I come in the name of my God. Run at your situations with your mouth full of the promises of God. Don't whimper towards them. Run boldly into them, and God is going to always give you victory. He really is. He really is. He really is. Like, I mean, Samson, I love Samson, don't you? The jawbone of a donkey, and he kills a thousand enemies. I mean, I know all that sounds gruesome and terrible, doesn't it? I mean, go get a jawbone and, you know, kill that banker. It won't give you a mortgage. <laughs> don't do that, you know? It's not about that. But, you know, what? if something's resisting financial blessing in your life, get the word of God in your mouth. Speak it over whatever's trying to resist the promise of God in your life. Do some battle with that. You're a child of God. Get the word. Get the sword of the spirit on your mouth and speak to your circumstances and see God change your world. But just if you ever do use the jawbone of a donkey, make sure it's a fresh one. Because the old ones, they break really easy. So make sure and with Samuel actually was a fresh jawbone. Can I get an amen? Just someday you'll be going, oh, wow, thank you, Pastor. Dorcas, I love Dorcas. I have a friend in Toronto. She's from Ghana. Her husband, Alex, Alex and Dorcas. Great friends of my parents, great friends of us. Just love them. But it's the only Dorcas I know. I know some dorks, but, <laughs> but her name is Dorcas. And what I love in the Bible is Dorcas. I mean, they went and found an apostle and said, you have to come. You have to leave this town and go to this town. You've got to come. Well, why? Because the lady who makes clothes for us is dead. Well, she's just a seamstress. I mean, who cares? We, they literally said, we can't live without her. And what did she do? She made clothing. What are you doing? Well, I'm just a little person. Awesome. Just live in a little place. Awesome. What do you got in your hand? Just something little? Awesome! <laughs> Say yes to God, and you'll see awesome. You know, that's what's... It's that back row over there. They're awesome. Should put them on the front row. Amen? Boy, right in the spit zone. <laughs> you know, it really is just people partnering with God, and Christmas is all about... You've got stuff. I mean... Nancy and Ron gave me, I, I know Nancy, Nancy and Ron's name was on it, but I think Nancy made the cookies. I don't know, maybe I don't want to despise Ron's cooking abilities. But those are some amazing cookies. And before Cheryl saw that we had the gift, she opened it and they were all gone. And, uh, and that's okay. <laughs> but you can have some really, you can have things that you think are, it's just little. It's not little. It's amazing what God can do with the little that's in your hand. Remember the boy who had a lunch? He said, hey, Jesus said, feed them all. And they all said, gee, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And the little boy goes, I got a lunch. Like, can you imagine that? They're all going, lunch? Are you kidding me? Jesus, this kid came and he said, he's, <laughs> all these people, this kid shows up and he says, I got lunch. He said, get it then. Let's break it up. And get it. Are you serious? Hey, kid, we want your lunch. <laughs> Shake him down. I was going to take it anyways. But, <laughs> but a kid's lunch. 
You take what's in your hand, you put it in the master's hand. If you hang on to what you got, you can feed yourself. If you release what's in your hand, you can feed yourself and a multitude. This side's kind of weak. We got a couple clappers here, a couple clappers there. All right, I got to wrap a pat. You got to wave at me. Did you wave at me already? Did you? Okay, sorry. I got to turn the page. All right. All right. Three guys. Ready? Edward Kimball, Albert McMakin, and Tim Godfrey. Some of you might know Tim, but Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball, Albert McMakin, and Tim Godfrey. Well, Edward Kimball lived in Chicago, and he was a shoe salesman at the end of like 18, late 1800s. He was a shoe salesman in Chicago, went to a church, and he would run around just trying to find kids and bring them in, and he taught Sunday school. And he really thought he was a failure. I mean, he said, I, I just don't think I've ever been that effective. I just haven't reached many people for Jesus or done anything. But you know what? There was one teenager that he brought in. It was a guy named D.L. Moody. And in his Sunday school class, D.L. Moody accepted Jesus. And D.L. Moody became an amazing evangelist. He was a shoe salesman, entrepreneur guy. Guy was just wealthy. Just, he, he just knew how to, he was a money magnet. But you know what? He, he just used everything he had to get the gospel out. And he said he never went to Bible school, never got trained in any way. And he said, I never want any degrees or anything because I've never earned anything. And he would just go and he would talk about the goodness of God. And hundreds and thousands of people came to the Lord through D.L. Moody. But D.L. Moody, he got, he got saved in Edward Kimball's uh, Sunday school class. Now, D.L. Moody uh, did meetings in Chicago, and uh, J. Wilbur Chapman accepted Jesus on one of uh, Moody's meetings, and Chapman then discipled a, a retired baseball player named Billy Sunday. Now, Billy Sunday went and had some meetings in uh, Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, and there was a, a massive revival there, and from that revival, a, a club of businessmen got together, and they decided every day to pray for revival in their city, and then they brought a guy named uh, Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham, they brought Mordecai Ham, and he did a, a, in Charlotte, North Carolina, he did this big, long series of meetings, night after night after night after night, and they did these meetings, and there was a guy who lived in the area called Billy Graham, and Billy Graham lived near that area, but Billy Graham didn't want anything to do with this. Billy Graham thought all these people were nuts and crazy, so this one fella, Albert McMakin, kept inviting Billy Graham to come to these meetings, but he said, no way, man, I'm not going to those meetings, you guys are all crazy, but Albert kept asking, kept asking, but one thing that Billy wanted to do is he wanted to drive Albert's truck, so one day, I mean, Albert started to get creative, he says, I want to see this guy come to Jesus, so Albert said, I'm going to let you drive my truck tonight, fantastic, but you're going to drive it with me to the crusade in Charlotte, we're going to sit in the crusade, but you can drive my truck there, and you can drive it back, he said, deal, I'm in, Billy Graham drove his truck that night, gave his life to Jesus. Now, you all know Billy Graham, but do you know Albert McMakin? Now, Billy Graham, he did, he's done crusades everywhere. Billy Graham's still alive. It's amazing. But the, a gal named Pam Warburton met a guy named Tim Godfrey, and they were kind of liking each other, but she knew that my parents will never let you date me unless you're a believer. So Pam invited Tim Godfrey to see Billy Graham. And when, Tam, when Tim went to Billy Graham the first night for a service, he went down the aisle and he accepted Jesus. Now, Tim married my cousin, and we worked together at Nedco. I was totally backslidden. If you can backslide, I slid a long ways back. And I became like a professional sinner. Not just a little bit, but hardcore did it really good. You know, some people just played around with sin. I hardcore invested in it. So, but I thought I messed up. My life's messed up. I really thought I was pretty much done. Tim prayed for me, he and his wife, every single day. 
He prayed for me every day, and then he made it his mission to constantly try to fill my life with stuff. He invited me over to the house. He invited me here. Bob Dylan's coming to town. I got tickets. We'll go see Bob. He did all kinds of stuff. He tried to get in my world. He filled up my life with him, and it was getting a bit annoying. But you know, I'd be over there. Come on over to my house tonight. My daughters want to see you. They love you. So, oh, I can't. I can't. Well, I'll go see your daughters. Oh, my goodness. But you know, they kept praying for me. And when I'd get over there, they'd pray for me. And they'd say, you know, we know God's calls in your life, Carl. We know that God wants to send you to the nations. Blah, 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 blah. And they go, leave me alone. Ah! You know, finally one day, I, they just wore me down. But they wore me down with God loves you. God's good. It's, you, you haven't blown it. You've not gone too far. I mean, God wants to do tremendous things with you. And, you know, I would not be here today. I know it. I would not be here today if they didn't commit themselves and dedicate themselves to that concern and care for me. And I know that. And I tell them that all the time. Every time I preach in their church, I say, your pastor saved my life seems like little stuff, seems like little things, but you know what? It's those little people, little places, engaging little partnerships with God, doing incredible things. And I'm here today, and you know, I, I need to say thank you to Edward Kimball, Albert McMakin, and Tim Godfrey. And all the way back through that thing, people did little things that affected God's purpose in the earth. You know, never think yourself too small or too incapable. Never think where you are, the place you're in is too little. Always know that whatever you're doing, and never, never get frustrated with where you are right now in the purpose of God. Don't judge yourself by outward things and other things and don't think that whatever you're involved in isn't wonderful and powerful. That'll just get you on a treadmill of frustration that's ugly. Because God is just, it's the little stuff. It's the little people, the little places, little partnerships with God. All right, we're going to have a candlelight service. All right, so just got a couple more verses. You ready? So we are torches for God. Torches, Isaiah 6, 60, verse 1. Arise and shine. Let your light shine for all the nations to see, for the glory of the Lord is streaming from you. John 12, 36. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. So good. Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. You are. There's not a light. You're not a part of the light. You are the light. If there's darkness, it's because we're turned off. But you are the light of the world. Look at this now. I want to read this to you right here. What defines you determines you. What defines you determines you. Identity is the most important power that determines our actions. We will act according to our view of who we truly are, whether those views are accurate or not. The accurate view is you are the light of the world. But what is affecting you is what you think about yourself. They're going to pass out candles now, so pass them down your row and get your candles, all right? So we will act according to our view of who we are. We are the light of the world. When light comes in contact with darkness, light wins. Any darkness. I've never seen darkness crush light, ever. But I've seen light obliterate darkness every single time. John 1, 4 and 5, the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Let me say that again. The darkness can never extinguish it. No, let me say that again. The darkness can never extinguish it. Let's say it together. The darkness can never extinguish it. Praise the Lord. <laughs> All right. Three observations, and we're going to get on with it. You ready? Three observations. Light confronts darkness. Not the other way. Light always confronts darkness. Light equals life. 
If you've got light, you have life. If you don't have light, you don't have life. But if you've got light, you have life. Light equals life. Light doesn't hesitate. Like, light doesn't creep. Like, a, like you turn on a light, bam, it just hits the whole room. It doesn't kind of like, the light's coming on, it's pushing the darkness out, there it goes, oh, it's moving, moving. You turn on a light, bang, done. Just like that. Just the light will fill the room. He never holds back. He rushes in to every situation and circumstance. Now listen, two things. You ready? Just two things. You're, you're all going to get a candle. When you hold that candle, I want you to realize and just embrace this. He is the light of the world. And he used that analogy, light. And he used light and darkness a lot. But you know, if you're here and you've never let Jesus into your life, when that candle lights today, when you light that candle today, I want you to see that I'm receiving the light of life. Because if you don't have light, you don't have life. And if you've never done that before, I want you to embrace that. I want you to receive that, you know what? And he's for you. He totally loves you. He wants to encounter you. This is God. It's all about him. Just say, I receive the light of life. And another thing, listen, if you are received him and you've got his light, please let the light shine. When that light is lit and you're holding that, I want you to embrace the fact that you are the light of the world. I want you to embrace the fact that wherever you go, you're a torchbearer. Wherever you are, if there's darkness there, you are, just by being present, obliterating darkness and delivering everybody within the realm where you are. You're delivering them from every form of encroaching darkness. And I want you to embrace that reality today. I want you to take it in, and I want you to know that's really for you. So you can stay seated for the first part, and we're going to uh, light some candles and Read a couple scriptures. Isaiah 9, verse 2, 5 to 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. 1 John 4, 1 through 5, verse 1. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. John 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. Isaiah 60, verse 1 through 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the people's. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Oh, Father, we just embrace the light of God. As we hold even this light in front of us, let the revelation of the light of the world just sink deeply into each of our hearts right now. We just want to embrace the full revelation that you are the light of the world, but you've handed us that responsibility just the little people in this little place you've engaged little partnerships with us 
Father, may we recognize every moment of the day that we are the light of the world. May we let our light shine. May we let the glory stream from within us and manifest your goodness and your grace everywhere we go. Thank you. Thank you for life. Come on, why don't you all stand with us? You should know this one. We can (laughs) sing together. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you where Christ, the anointed one, smears every physical thing with his power. Thank you that Christ and mass collide. Thank you that the anointed one and his light collide with darkness. I pray, Father, for healing today. I pray for all brokenness to go, all hopelessness to go. I pray for the light of your love, the hope, the peace, the joy that is ours this day. Not because it's, you know, Christmas time, but because Christ has come. Because you are Emmanuel and you're with us every moment of every day. So let your glory flood our lives in this season. Let it be a time, Lord, where we see miracles, where we see things shift and we see things change. So, Father, thank you for this house. Thank you for each one here. I command your blessing on each one right now. I pray that the wonderful love of the Father would just be a revelation that would fully invade every heart. I pray, Jesus, for your grace, for your favor, your partnership, your your commitment to us to be a great revelation. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your partnership. I thank you that you're with me every day. I thank you that you'll never leave me or forsake me, but you'll constantly, continually testify of the evidence of Jesus in our hearts and our lives. So I bless this house. I bless each and every one. I bless every home. I bless our city and our nation. I command the light of God to flood from coast to coast, sea to sea, from the rivers to the end of the earth. Let the goodness of God and the kingdom and your glory be manifest in Jesus' name. I declare a Merry Christmas to everyone here. Command the light and glory to abide with you and remain in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, bless somebody near you. Say, isn't that great? Isn't that nice? God bless you and Merry Christmas. <laughs>